You're listening to episode seven of the In the City podcast. dedicated to advancing hope, crafting purpose, and shaping transformation. Your host is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. Whether you are working from home, in the car, or listening at work, this podcast is dedicated to helping you live out your faith in the city. And now here's your host, Jonathan. And hello there, my name is Jonathan, and I want to thank you for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. You know, I'm just getting so excited about this new medium that I'm trying, and I really hope that you are benefiting from it. This is just a great opportunity for me to kind of share with you just sort of stream of conscious and things that I'm thinking about, and and really to kind of share with you my heart, my heart for the Lord, my heart for God, and also my heart for you For those of you who have to live out your faith in this crazy world, this urban jungle that we live in, the urban jungle of our lives, that is the city. You know, today we're going to be looking at a very controversial topic, and that topic is money. And how do we understand money and finances in our home, in our lives, and particularly in the church? You know, uh, when I I worked as a dean at Knox Theological Seminary, you know, I remember a Uh, the professors who would come in and teach the pastoral courses and pastoral courses are the courses that pastors take uh, that are supposed to prepare them for ministry and sometimes they're very good sometimes uh, they are taught by pastors who have had years and years of experience in leading congregations and always the topic would turn to uh, teaching about tithing, and these pastors would encourage their students to teach their congregations of the future about giving money to the church. And, you know, I remember just a lot of the students just feeling incredibly hesitant about stressing tithing because of the fear. And here is the fear, the general belief that churches are obsessed with money. And so, you know, I'm going to take a few moments to think about these this fear, and then we're going to get into a message today that I'd like to share with you. But before we do that, let me just kind of speak to two reasons why I think a lot of pastors are afraid to talk about money. And, um, you know, the very first reason is just bad stereotypes. I mean, everyone is familiar with the image of pastors earning huge salaries, driving expensive cars, and perhaps not even paying taxes or getting away with the tax benefits, you know, for pastors. And I've actually seen this where um, people will raise issues about taxes and pastors and the, the particular benefits that they get. But you know what? Let me just tell you something. And, and I'm just telling you, I don't know a single pastor who falls into that category, at least with the young pastors and the pastors in the middle parts of their careers that I know personally that are friends of mine who would even fall into that category. I mean, the truth is that about 95% of pastors are just struggling. They're struggling to pay their health care. They're struggling to earn or to, to keep a little of savings. I mean, they're struggling to pay their kids uh, for school if they opt to send them uh, to a private school or homeschool, etc. You know, uh, there I know of pastors who have to work a second job 
just to make extra money for their families because the churches that they're serving simply cannot afford to pay them a livable wage. And, you know, but because of the stereotypes out there, the, the prevailing mindset of people today is the very opposite of the facts, the very opposite of reality. And I think that because of that, uh, that pastors very often are shy and, and they are shy about speaking about money. I think the second reason that this exists is also that there's just simply poor teaching on tithing. And, you know, I remember growing up in church and I remember listening to some pastors and they would really stress, those who are really stressing tithing, uh, and that's um, what many would refer to as giving, That's and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but as they would stress tithing, I mean, it was it was overboard. And, you know, it was really wrapped up in very, very poor theology and poor understanding. And the truth of the matter is that many of them were the kinds of pastors um, that, well, not many of them, but a few of them were the kinds of pastors that I was talking about that were reinforcing those stereotypes that I mentioned in the first one. Most of the pastors that I served under and have been a part of and have loved, all of them are great guys. But there was there was a couple that I ran across in my time where I remember this poor teaching on tithing. You know, let me just kind of tell you what tithing actually means. Tithing is actually an old English word that simply means tenth. If you were to give a tithe in the old English, it was to meaning that you were giving a tenth. That's that's all that a tithe means. Um, but you know, in many churches today. When money is talked about, it's talked about with that old English word of tithing. But the problem is, is that it's presented in such a way that it often seems like it's a mandate or an obligation on believers. And I actually really think that that's part of our problem in the church today when it comes to understanding the relationship of money and the Christian is that we sort of get into this guilty feeling in fact, um, it was really interesting. I, I love listening to another podcast, uh, This Is Your Life by Michael Hyatt. He's just a, an incredible guru out there on podcasting and publishing, etc. But he actually um, had a podcast episode at one point that was uh, dedicated to why you shouldn't feel guilty about charging. So he's actually talking to business people and to entrepreneurs who, for whatever reason, had some guilt associated with money. And it's like, where is that guilt coming from? And why is it that when we start talking about money and we start talking about the relationship of money uh, to the individual, that there's always seems to be some kind of guilt associated with it? So I think it's actually this second point that we're really going to look at in detail today. And that is that what, how do we really understand and begin to approach uh, the scriptures as our basis for trying to understand money? So here's what I want to do. In the remaining portion of this podcast, I'm going to share with you a portion of a message that I gave at Redeemer Anglican Church titled The Gospel of Generosity. And to listen to what um, the Bible actually teaches on tithing, particularly the New Testament, and to try to understand the New Testament's relationship to the Old Testament. So here's a portion of the message, and I'll be I'll be right back uh, after this conclusion. 
So for those of you who are listening to those readings closely, all of a sudden you might have noticed that, wait, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Um, I heard money, 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 money. Oh, I know what's coming today. He's going to be talking about money. Oh, no. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh, no, he's going to be talking about money today. You know, today is Christ the King Sunday. It also happens to uh, correspond with, a pl- uh, with our new pledge campaign for next year. And so because next week is Advent, I said, well, you know what? We need to deal with this because once a year I'm going to preach on money. And so it just happened to be the day is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. But there is a fundamental reason why I want to speak to it. It has nothing to do with our campaign. It has nothing to do with... Uh, paying bills or anything like that. And this is the issue, that we live in a culture today that measures our value by how much money that we have. We live in a culture today that says you need to have the best car, the best house, you need to have the best this, that, and the other. And the bottom line is this, is that we measure our power and influence by how much money that we have. And the problem with that is this, it's totally contrary to the Word of God. It's totally contrary to what we know, where we know what our value is in Christ Jesus. And so when we look at what the Bible teaches about money and what the Bible teaches us about giving, and those two are related, what we come to the conclusion is, is that there is something in the Bible that is radically different and radically opposed to the Word of God, or radically opposed to our culture, and that the Word of God speaks so clearly about this. So let me ask you a question. When is the last time you watched a television commercial from a car dealer that told you that, hey, you know, the car you're driving is great, probably okay, and please don't come into our car lot and buy another car? Have you heard that before? When is the last time a car dealer said, hey, I just wanted you to know that I've got these beautiful cars, but yours is okay, and you should probably continue to drive it? Have you ever heard a car dealer do that? Probably not, right? And I don't have anything against car dealerships, don't me. I'm just picking on them this morning because we see them so much. Part of it is is that we live in a culture that's driven by business. And that's okay because business in our economy has to work. It has to function. But in business school, I was taught a principle. And this is the principle that I was taught. I was taught that cash is king. Over and over and over again, cash is king. And what that means in business is that if you run out of cash, you're out of business. That's the bottom line. And that's what they were driving at. I said, okay, yeah, cash is king, cash is king. You know, I fill out true or false. Is cash or king on the, business, on the finance exam? True, cash is king, and I passed. Then I went to seminary. And I left my corporate career, and I transitioned into seminary. And all the professors kept saying, Jesus is king, Jesus is king, and Jesus is king. And I said, well, wait a minute, I thought cash was king. <laughs> what am I going to do? Is cash or king, or is Jesus is king? And then I came across this passage that we heard Deacon Ann read. And this is what it says in verse 27. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea. That is Jesus telling his disciple, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Jesus tells his disciple, because he has to pay the temple tax. And Jesus tells his disciples, says, go out, take a fishing pole, cast out the fishing pole, catch a fish, and guess what's going to be in that fish? There's going to be a shiny new shekel. Take that shekel and go pay my bills. That's what it says. And so then I realized something. Aha! 
Jesus is king, but he uses cash to pay the bills. <laughs> and that's really true, actually. Jesus is king, and he uses cash to pay the bills. Jesus is king, and he uses cash to pay the bills. And guess what? Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, all the cash in the world is his. All of it is his. It all belongs to him. He is the king, and what we need to do today is to figure out our part on how this economy of our Lord works. And so this is what I want to do today. What I would like to do is to talk about the subject of giving and tithing. And what I really want to do this morning is just to kind of lay out what I believe is the biblical case. Because there's a lot of confusion in this area, and you'll hear back and forth schools of thought on this. And I'm going to give you my school of thought today, because this is what I want you to do today. This is my goal for you. When you walk out of this room this morning, what I hope is that you will walk out free and liberated from any bondage that you've ever experienced. That my goal for you today is that you'll come to the place of giving and you'll say, you know what, yes, you might be convicted of some sin in your life, but it's not the sin that you're thinking. It's a different form. And we're going to get to that in just, a more, in just a few minutes. So let's dive into this this morning and look at what the Bible actually says. Because one of the things that we, we have to deal with is that in the New Testament, we rarely see an emphasis on tithing. That is, if you do a search for the word tithe in the New Testament, you will not find very many instances of the word tithe. The only place that you find it in the Gospels, that is of Jesus, is this verse. Listen to this in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What is he saying here? What Jesus is saying about tithing here is this. The Pharisees, that is the religious establishment, they were so concerned that they got the exact proportion right that they would sit there with their, their mint leaves and they would just dull them out. And then they would go to their cumin and they would just dull them out. This is one for me, one for God. A lot for me, a little for God. And they would just continue to do this over and over and over again. And Jesus stops them, and he stops them dead in his tracks, and he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And that is to say that when they looked, when they looked at the law, that they would rather be unjust, that they would not be faithful, that they were unmerciful. That is, their heart was far from God. And yet they were there. Dealing out their mint, their cumin, dealing those things out. Oh, yeah, look, I, mm, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I've tithed. This is what we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels. So very often what you'll hear is that ministers will turn to Malachi. And they turn to Malachi chapter 3. And you hear this, and it's right up front in Malachi verse, or chapter 3, verse 8. And there is this verse, and it grabs you. And this is what it says. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And it says, in your tithes and contributions. Boy, it convicts, does it not? It convicts. But how does it convict? And this is the question that we have to wrestle with today. Because, beloved, if when we understand this verse in its proper context, then we will understand how to read the New Testament. So I want to do and just break this down for you this morning. 
Because what Malachi is doing in chapter 3 is that he has gone through a discourse where he is charging Israel for covenant unfaithfulness. What does covenant unfaithfulness mean? It means that they were continually breaking the law of God and chasing after false idols. In other words, they were engaged in false worship. And there was no place where it was more evident in their breaking of the law of God than in their tithes and contributions. The idea here is faithfulness. So how does the prophet convict the people of charging them with robbing God? You see, in order to understand this, we have to understand what is the purpose of the Old Testament tithe. You see that if we don't understand that, then we don't understand the New Testament. So listen, in the New Old Testament, the way that God set up the covenant people, that is the people of Israel, his people, is he set them up with an arrangement. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you read this all through Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And in this arrangement, in this group, in this people of God that he arranged, that he set apart a group of people called the Levites. And the Levites had one job. They just had one function. And that was to engage in continuous atonement for the people of God. That is, whenever people send the Levites and their job as priest was to make atonement to make sacrifice, to engage in temple worship. That is that they were the religious establishment, that they were to be the ambassadors for God, the Levites. Now listen to what God said to the Levites in Numbers 18. He says, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel, that is all the first fruits of Israel. All of the harvest, a tenth of the harvest, was to be brought to the Levites. For an inheritance and return for the Levite service that they do. Their service, that is their ministry, is the tent of meeting. So that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. Do you understand what would happen? That if you had come to the tent of meeting, that is if you had come later years to the temple, and you had unrepentant sin during this time period, that you would have died. That the role of the Levite was to make atonement for sin. So this was a life and death experience, a life and death regulation. In verse 23 it says, But the Levites shall do the service of the tent meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. The Levites were the representatives of God, representatives of God and charged with offering sacrifices to God in atonement for the people's of sins. Do you understand what they're saying here? Let me just break this down for you very simply. And it's this. The Levites were dependent on the tithe in order for the temple to function. So that when the people stopped tithing, what would happen? Temple worship would cease. So in other words, what was happening is that the further away the people went from true worship of Yahweh, the, fur, or the, the, the deterioration of temple worship, the further deterioration of temple worship occurred. 
In other words, it became a process where everything slowly began to break down. Why? Because as the Levites were no longer receiving the tithes and contributions of the people of God, they had to go and begin to do other forms of work. And the entire cycle of covenant began to break down. And this is what God is saying. It's not that you've robbed him of your tithes. You have robbed God of his worship. It is not that God is so dependent upon the harvest. It is that God declares and says, I am your God and you will be my people. And so this is Malachi. This is what Malachi is writing to the covenant people about covenant faithfulness. When worship failed, the entire nation suffered. Listen to verse 10 of Malachi 3. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We love this verse, and I have heard this preached over and over and over again, that if you give to God, then he will never let you down, and that's fine. And they go to this text as the proof text for that statement. But this is not the way that you should read this, because what this is saying is that if, if Israel would re-engage in proper worship, then all the blessings and curses of the law would be reinstated. That is covenant faithfulness. We as Christians must look at this as the backdrop and say there is the centerpiece of this text is not that we should give 10%, that it's a requirement of the law, but we should understand that our giving and our generosity and all of those things is dependent upon the worship of God. That is, that giving is an act of worship. So then we come to the New Testament. Because something radical has happened between Malachi and Matthew. Something has transformed. Something took place. And that is the advent of Jesus Christ. That he has come into flesh and blood. That he became the law. That is where he fulfilled the law of God. He is the new covenant. And the old covenant has passed away. And the new covenant of grace has come into place. And then how do we understand it? Because now we are in this new time. This new time period of Jesus Christ our king. Who has become our Savior, that he died and he gives us this pattern of death and resurrection. How do we understand that in terms of our giving? Then we heard in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, beginning and going through verse 15. And listen to what he says. Because what happens here from the Old Testament is that it switches from tithing being a requirement of covenant faithfulness to generous giving because of God's faithfulness. Did you catch that? In other words, it's not a requirement that we give so that temple worship can continue, but rather it's generosity because of what God has done for us. This is what Paul's writing, and Paul writes and he says, of all the bad things you've ever done, the one thing that you've done exceedingly abundantly is that you have given generously. And unfortunately, we don't have the conclusion of this message. So let me want to give you some of the remaining points that I was trying to make in that sermon. So, so here was my concluding point. Christian giving to a church must be completely based upon our understanding of God's grace 
through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul was writing there in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, and he has this key point that is so liberating and so wonderful, and that is that God loves a cheerful giver. You see, if you're giving money or you're tithing and you are doing it out of guilt and shame, then it's a point that we have to understand, and that is is that you're giving out of this sort of mentality that says, well, I have to do this because this is what makes me a good Christian. And the point is, is that's absolutely false to what the gospel, the gospel actually says. Paul is emphatic. God loves a cheerful giver so that when we give, well, I got to put my tithe in the church or I've got to give money to this or if I don't help this person, then there we go. Then we're missing the whole point. Because as there, because what we need to understand is that there's a relationship between grace and our giving. The more that we understand grace, the more generosity should flow out of our lives. And, you know, some people, they just struggle with it. You know, I know people that say, you know, I just struggle with being generous. And my answer to this to them is to say, I understand. That's why we have to just keep coming back to the cross and to keep understanding the depths and the riches of God's grace that was being poured out upon us. You know, ultimately, that there's something that's so critical in understanding our relationship with our money and our ability to give to others, and also our, our willingness to give back to the Lord, and that is this. It's not a quid, quo pro, or quid pro quo relationship. You know, what do I mean by not a quid pro quo relationship? You know, what? first of all, what is that? You know, a definition of a quid pro quo relationship is this. It is a favor or advantage granted or expected in return for something. That is, I'm going to give money to the church and to God because I think that God's going to bless me. You see, this is not what Paul has in mind at all. When he writes, God loves a cheerful giver, he's writing with the expectation that nothing will be returned. The Corinthians are giving because they are being generous, because of their cheerfulness, because of what God has given them. And it seems to me that what Paul is saying here is that our giving should be completely grounded in knowing that God has already given everything to us through the cross. And I think that this ultimately leads to the conclusion that in giving money to a church or another group or even to a homeless person that's you know standing on a street corner, I think that we must understand is that it is an act of worship that is flowing out of a generous heart. An act of worship that flows out of a generous heart. In other words, we give because everything has been given to us. And what is possible when we finally get to this place where we are just giving because we are in love with the Lord? And I think that the answer is this. I think the answer is found in that phrase of Paul where he says, God loves a cheerful giver. That is through the practice of giving, the practice of generosity, instead of it leading to despair, ultimately it leads to joy. And I think that that is the marvelous thing for those who have discovered the joy of giving, that what they actually find is this is the true statement that it is better to give than to receive. You know, these are tough words, but I think that there's profound truth in it. And listen, if you've been benefited from this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, please take some time to go to my website. It's jonathangsmith.com forward slash ITC7. 
And just take a moment, leave some feedback. Love to hear from you. Uh, there's a place right there, and the show notes are available there as well. And you can find more information about sharing this with your friends. And until next time, keep living out your faith in the city. You're listening to a Verve Creative production.